And I look at my plan, Jenny, he took my avocado away. And that was your, that was life. That was life for you. (laughs) I was like, do I want to live my life where I take pictures of myself in a bathing Mm -hmm. suit and send it to some dude two states over so he can't tell me, he tells me I can't have a slice of avocado? Yeah. Like, no, this is not what I want for my life. No, thank you. Yeah. And so at that moment, I was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm not dieting anymore. I'm not going to crush myself with exercise, punish my body. I'm not going to let what other people say about me or think about me affect how I feel about myself. Like I am going to get good with me regardless of what anyone thinks, regardless of how my body looks, regardless of how much I can lift. Like I want to like myself Mm -hmm. in an unshakable, unwavering way that cannot ever be taken away from me because of how my body looks or what I can do. Welcome to the Find Your Strong podcast. I'm Jennifer Van Barneveld Pay, president of Strong Fitness Magazine, founder of Team Strong Girls, and fitness coach turned fitness publisher. Each week, I'm going to give you a thought or an interview of how to build stronger bodies, stronger minds, and stronger relationships. Getting to where I am now has been nothing short of a journey of the ultimate highs and the deepest of lows. I've had my fair share of setbacks, near bankruptcy, an eating disorder, and multiple miscarriages. You name it, I lost my way time and time again. But through it all, I uncovered my purpose, which gave me the perseverance to find my strong and stay the course. I've spent more than 15 years coaching women, and I know that fitness is a vessel to help you feel strong, confident, and empowered in your body and your life. If you're looking for inspiration and motivation, you've come to the right place. You are not going to want to miss this. Hi, guys, and welcome back. On today's episode, I'm speaking with Molly Galbraith, the co-founder of Girls Gone Strong, and she's also launching her first book, Strong Women Lift Each Other Up, which, oh my goodness, do we ever need more of this. We chatted about her struggle with body image and how she overcame that and stepped fully into her power, helping thousands of women do the same. Guys, I just love chatting with Molly. She's sweet, she's smart, and she's strong. And I think you're going to love her too. Hi, Molly, and welcome to the show. I am so excited to dive deep into your story and how you're on a mission to uplift women. We're going to get right into it because we have so much to talk about. And I realized when reading your book, Strong Women Lift Each Other Up, that we have so much in common. I was literally in tears reading your first chapter because I too have felt bullying at a young age from other girls and who I thought were my friends. And I feel like these events really shape us and teach us at a young age to not trust women, unfortunately. And then to go through this and, you know, get into the fitness world, I think it reinforces even more competition and creating even more self-doubt that you, you know, that can lead to destructive behaviors. So I want to get right into your story, how you started, how, you know, your journey led to creating Girls Gone Strong and this book now, like, let's go back in time and tell us how this began for you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Jenny. I'm so excited to be on here and I'm thrilled to hear that my book resonated with you. And I, I, we had talked a little bit before that we had some stuff in common. So it's cool to hear that, that there was even more in common as you read the book. So I'm loving hearing that. My story starts early on and I talk about it a little bit in the book. So I grew up, um, parents divorced when I was pretty young didn't have a lot of money growing up. So I grew up from the very beginning with a sense of scarcity. There's not enough. There's not enough money. You know, there's, I I don't have the good clothes. Like I was just always kind of worried, feeling like I have two older sisters. It was like, well, they ate the food that I wanted and there wasn't going to be any left for me. And we couldn't go back to the store and get it. And I just grew up feeling not enough from a very young age. Um, Mm -hmm. Couple that with I was a competitive gymnast for five years, which is kind of hilarious because I'm almost six feet tall. So I've always been (laughs) bigger and bigger and taller than all the other girls. So then I was surrounded by these, even at a young age, girls who were a lot smaller than I was, who were really petite. So I remember feeling bigger than all the other girls. So I did competitive gymnastics for five years. And then I um, eventually transitioned and was a cheerleader for a couple of years in high school. And um, 
throughout that time, middle school, when my parents got divorced, started a new school, skipped a grade. It was kind of the weird smart kid, didn't have cool clothes, couldn't make the cheerleading squad. To be a competitive gymnast who can't make the cheerleading squad, like you have to be really bad. There was like, I felt very, very rejected, right? To be a competitive gymnast, you can't make the cheerleading squad. So, and I just felt like I wasn't picked. I, I wasn't good enough. You know, everyone else was better than me. I wasn't part of the cool crowd. And cheerleading was a really big deal because I was so desperate to make that squad because at my school, those were the cool girls who were, you know, popular and pretty and the boys like them. And so the summer before my ninth grade year, um, I, my mom graduated law school, got a job, started making a little bit more money, had enough money for me to like highlight my hair and, you know, get some cool clothes and hire an older cheerleader to come help me. And then, um, I also basically developed breasts overnight. So I essentially hit puberty. And so I showed up and then I finally made the cheerleading squad. So I showed up first day of ninth grade, like one of those movies, you know, the <laughs> girl shakes her hair out of the bun. Right. And it's like, who's the new girl, you know, yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, blonde hair, boobs, cheerleading squad. And all of a sudden people who didn't want to be my friend before wanted to be my friend and they were paying attention to me and they were nice to me. And so that kind of ingrained in me at this really uh-huh. young age that the way that I look uh-huh. is significantly more important than who I am. And I was 13 years old. Mm -hmm. And so my little brain was just like, oh, well, this is what's most important is the way that I look and being cool and being popular and accepted. So kind of get to the end of high school. I stopped cheerleading. I gained some weight. I um, start college, join a sorority and, you know, still kind of have that like competition. Am I going to make the cut kind of thing going on even in the sorority? And end of by the end of college, I had gained a significant amount of weight and was quite sedentary. So I decided I wanted to get in shape. So I hired a personal trainer a couple times a week for about six weeks and fell in love with fitness. I was a poor college student, so I couldn't afford to yep. keep working with a trainer. <laughs> but about eight months after that, I started dating a guy at the gym who was a personal trainer, which is much more economical. <laughs> <laughs> that worked yeah, out really well. That, that worked out well. <laughs> he was a um, personal trainer, competitive bodybuilder, and powerlifter. Wow. And so I was thrust into this world of intense exercise very quickly. So within less than a year of my fitness journey, I start competing in powerlifting, figure, and every time I do a figure competition, my body rebounds significantly. And because I do not have a healthy relationship with food. I mean, this was back in 2005 and six that I was getting yep. ready for these. We had definitely a lot less information than we have today mm-hmm. about what it might look like to help someone diet down. I think there's, you know, you could probably argue both sides of whether it's even healthy to diet down like that. To yeah. Be with, but it's we an certainly extreme process. Mm-hmm, and we certainly didn't have the good information or the better information that we have now. So it was two hours of cardio a day, 900 calories at, you know, 160, 170 something pounds. Um, it was brutal. And every time I would rebound significantly afterwards, not only because physiologically my body was starving essentially, but psychologically, I could not control my relationship with food because I had been restricting so badly. So every time I did a competition, I would do it. I would get all this praise and attention for being really lean and fit. And Mm -hmm. then my body would rebound. And not only did I feel awful about myself, I would gain a significant amount of weight and a couple week period, but people would also treat me differently. They'd see me and they'd be like, whoa, what happened to you? Are you still working out? what's going on, you know, and they would literally like make comments about my body. And so every time I was like, well, I have to do another competition, my only way to get back. So I did that for several years. And then um, spring of 2009, I was 24 years old and I felt like I couldn't even get up off the couch to get a glass of water. Wow. I just did another competition. So young too. And how many competitions have you done at this point? At that point, I had done three back to back to back over like essentially just enough time to gain all the weight back and then try to to lose it again. Wow. So I did another competition in 2009 and, or sorry, end of 2008 and beginning of 2009, I went to the doctor and she diagnosed me with Hashimoto's, which is autoimmune hypothyroidism, Mm -hmm. PCOS, Mm -hmm. which is polycystic ovarian syndrome and adrenal dysfunction. So she said there was a feedback loop issue between my brain and my adrenals. Wow. And 24, 24 years old, chronic autoimmune disease. And did she say the chronic dieting, um, like the competitions maybe triggered that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She said I was most likely genetically predisposed to those. Mm -hmm. And then doing the competition was essentially the thing that pulled the trigger or that kind of flipped that switch for me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, putting my body under that much stress. 
So I was like, okay, well, I can't be the super, you know, lean shredded girl. I guess I'm going to be the really strong girl. And I decided, (laughs) I decided to compete in powerlifting. So did my second powerlifting competition in 2009, had a great time, loved it. Um, was really able to figure out, okay, you know, I'm strong, but you know, I need to go back and kind of build my foundation a little bit. So for the next two or three years, I worked on, um, just kind of rebuilding myself from the ground up health wise with, with my Hashimoto's and PCOS and also strength training wise. And was working with some great coaches and physical therapists and everything was good. And then January 4th, 2012, my dad died unexpectedly. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I found out he was sick on a Saturday and he died on Tuesday night of pneumonia. Oh my God. And two weeks later, I was uh, working out in the gym and I injured myself and started having chronic back pain. And then about eight months after that, I left a six year relationship and moved home with my mom. So we had a home together, we had business together, and I just left it all and moved home with my mom. So I was 28. I just lost my dad. Yeah. Chronic pain, could hardly tie my shoes. Left it, you know, in my mind, 28 and single. Oh no, right? Like that's kind of where my head was at the moment. But um, (laughs) living with my mom. You're so old at that point, right? Exactly. (laughs) Living with my mom and just, and believe it or not, nutrition and exercise had not been the most important thing to me that year, right? I was taking care of myself and wasn't able to move my body the way that I had previously because I was in so much pain. And so I gained some weight. And by that point, and we'll kind of circle back because my story's got a lot of layers, but mm-hmm. by that point I had started Girls Gone Strong. So I had an in-person brick and mortar gym in Kentucky where I am from. I had started Girls Gone Strong. I had been kind of, you know, blogging and, and writing online and, you know, sharing stuff on Facebook and things like that and had a seminar business. We're teaching coaches how to um, work with women. And so I was at a Girls Gone Strong meetup in end of 2012. and. I'm in pain. I'm lying on the ground doing breathing exercises because my back hurts so much. The other girls gone strong mm-hmm. are doing, you know, weighted pull-ups and deadlifting double their body weight and just crushing it. And I'm just over here like dead bug, you know, like <laughs> and core work. I go to the, <laughs> exactly. And I go to the bathroom and there's a scale in there and I hadn't weighed myself since I left my other relationship. I just didn't have a scale at my house. And I step on the scale and I have regained almost every bit of weight that I had lost when I had started almost nine years earlier. Wow. And for me, that was quantitative proof that I was a failure, that I didn't know what I was doing, that I was an imposter. How could I, how could I, you know, be a gym owner and not be able to help myself? How could I own something called Girls Gone Strong and not even be able to hardly walk or tie my shoes? And I lost it. I had just an absolute breakdown and just was struggling so badly. And because I had had some of those feelings before, but it was like, this was data, you know, this was data saying, you aren't good enough. You can't do it. Yeah. And so... I decided the only thing to do was to get in shape again and whatever, quote unquote, get in shape, lose weight. And so Mm -hmm. I hired a nutrition coach and he, you know, I would take pictures of myself and my bathing suit and send it to him and he would adjust my plan. So spring of 2013, I had a week where I didn't really make any progress and he sent back my meal plan and, you know, it had been like chicken and broccoli and, you know, rice and maybe avocado or exactly. Right. Like standard, (laughs) the standard, we all know that. Boring. Yeah. I like Twitch thinking about that. And I look at my plan, Jenny, he took my avocado away. And that was your, that was life. That was life for you. (laughs) I was like, do I want to live my life where I take pictures of myself in a bathing mm-hmm. suit and send it to some dude two states over so he can't tell me, he tells me I can't have a slice of avocado? Yeah. Like, no, this is not what no. I want for my life. No, thank you. Yeah. And so at that moment, I was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm not dieting anymore. I'm not going to crush myself with exercise, punish my body. I'm not going to let what other people say about me or think about me affect how I feel about myself. Like I am going to get good with me regardless of what anyone thinks, regardless of how my body looks, regardless of how much I can lift. Like I want to like myself Mm -hmm. in an unshakable, unwavering way that cannot ever be taken away from me because of how my body looks or what I can do. 
And so that kicked off the last eight years of, you know, I had been in, I had been in therapy for quite a long time at that point already. (laughs) And, um, the funny thing is I started going to therapy, uh, because in my past relationship, I struggled to be vulnerable in my, with my partner. And the joke is that like therapy worked too well because now I'm vulnerable on the internet and on podcasts and stuff. Everywhere like, else. <laughs> therapy works You're coming really, out. Really well. Yep. <laughs> so I'd been in therapy for a while at that point. So I had a lot of tools and skills to change my mindset and change my behavior and things like that. And so I set off on this journey in 2013 to like myself and, you know, regardless of how I looked. And at that point, because I had been, I already had a presence online, I was just kind of sharing it with the world. And so a lot of fitness professionals, I wrote an article in 2013 called It's Hard Out Here for a Fit Chick. And it, you know, had like 50,000 views within the first day or two. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Like you really just, you opened up about the whole process of, you know, dieting for for the show and, and then the and the after effect, you know, and I don't think many people were talking about it back then. No, no one. And my friend, Jesse Neeland, who's a fitness professional, she's like, she was in working in New York at the time. And she's like, you know, I thought I had to have this like perfect facade or people wouldn't want to work with me. And she's like, you threw yourself under the bus for all of us. And you like, let us see that like, that's not actually that scary to do. We can be like real humans and talk about our struggles. And she's like, my whole kind of like life and work shifted after that. And so then I just, you know, I, and so by that time I had started Girls Gone Strong. So 2011 that had started, we had started with just a a big focus on women and strength training. And we're like, you know, strength training helps women become stronger mentally, physically, emotionally. And that Mm -hmm. was kind of our main focus. And then um, over time, we kind of started expanding that focus as I was, you know, you probably know you've been a business owner for a long time, but as you go through your own transformations, you kind of start to say, oh, well, you know, this is important too. And like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, well, maybe we can incorporate this a little bit. So it started out with kind of strength training, nutrition, cardio, and then we started talking about mental health and body image and things like that. Then we kind of were like, oh, okay, autonomy, like women having the power to choose what they want for their own bodies instead of being sold, like this is the only way to look. And so we started adding, you know, kind of autonomy and feminism and like women's empowerment and stuff too through the lens at Girls Gone Strong. And then the kind of next evolution was like, oh, okay, well, not everyone has the same opportunities to be fit and not everyone has the same life experiences. And so we started tackling things through an intersectional inclusive lens, talking about um, issues related to social justice and access and stuff like that. So it's just kind of keeps expanding. So essentially my definition of lifting women up has continued to expand over time as I've gained more kind of knowledge and experience in the industry. I love it. I love that you're educating too. And just like, you know, creating that education for women to make their own choices and not just like here, this is one way of doing it. This is how you're going to get fit, or, you know, this is how you're going to gain muscle. Like you're really including all aspects there. And that's, that's amazing. So how many coaches do you have in, in girls gone strong right now? Yeah. So we've got our, our main source of um, like what, what, how we spend the majority of our time mm-hmm. is educating health and fitness professionals who work with women. So the GGS awesome. team in total oscillates somewhere between 25 and 40 people at any given time. And we've got, you know, people in client care and people in coaching and people who are um, health and fitness professionals who are creating the curriculum. So in total, in terms of experts who are working with Girls Gone Strong at any given time, it's usually about 10 or 12. In terms of actually coaching the clients, we generally have like three. Awesome. Awesome. And I'm so thankful that you've you've actually given our, like my team of coaches, access to your pre and postnatal. They are so pumped about it. They're like, what? We're actually going to get a book in the mail? Like Like it's an actual physical copy as well. It's not just some online course. So I I think that's incredible what you've done. And do you continue to add, like, are you still continuing to add onto it? Or is it in your eyes pretty much complete? Yeah, that's a great question. So to give people a little bit of context, so GGS started in 2011, and we were helping women who wanted to, you know, have kind of a transformation from the inside out, right, who wanted to increase their physical strength, mental strength, emotional strength, who wanted to heal their relationship with food in their body. We started working with pre and postnatal women. So we started helping women who are pregnant and postpartum, um, have a safe, healthy and strong pregnancy and recover. And then we started realizing, gosh, around 2016 or so, how many people in our community, how many coaches were following us. 
And because there what there aren't a lot of sources of, I mean, you know this, there aren't yep. a lot of sources of high quality women specific health, fitness, nutrition, and pregnancy information. So we realized not only were there an enormous amount of coaches who were following us, but women were joining the community and then having their transformation and saying, I want to pass this on. Like you helped me have a healthy pregnancy and postpartum. I want to help other people do that. That's a really cool thing to do. And so we decided to start our GGS Academy because at the time there were no certifications out there that were comprehensive in terms of covering the whole spectrum of coaching a a woman. So Mm -hmm. psychology, coaching, nutrition, anatomy, physiology, exercise, rest, recovery, all the stuff. All of that. Um, There was nothing and also evidence-based so research-backed um and also interdisciplinary so there was there i mean there's great continuing education out there but there wasn't anything that checked all of those boxes so Mm -hmm. how do we bring a pelvic health physiotherapist and a psychologist and a molecular biologist and a strength coach and a registered dietitian together and all (laughs) get them talking and all get them to say, Hey, like, have you thought about this from this perspective? Hey, we're talking about pelvic organ prolapse. Have you thought about how that might affect a woman psychologically, how she feels about her body when Mm -hmm. she gets that diagnosis, you know? So we realized that there was this missing piece of this interdisciplinary approach. And then of course we wanted to um, turn it into an actual textbook, like you said, so we could get in the mail. So we've got the GGS Academy and under that, we've got two certifications. So one that covers um, pre and postnatal and one that covers coaching women across their lifespan. And it was really funny because we released the pre and postnatal one first. And so then when we released the women's coaching special certification, everyone's like, you have a pre and postnatal one. What's the other one about? And I'm like, (laughs) Literally everything else, literally like everything, everything. <laughs> literally everything else that happens in women's lives that doesn't yeah. have to do with not the, just that the period. period. <laughs> yeah. yeah, being pregnant, postpartum. Yeah. So we've got yeah. those two certifications. Um, we feel pretty uh-huh. good with those right now, but we do continually update them. So mm. you know, we we print out a certain amount. We open enrollment twice a year, kind of like a university, um, and we do make tweaks to them. And then as new research comes out, we send research reviews to all of our students. So and we say, hey, this you know new study came out, and you'll find on chapter two seventy three we said this, and this is what's updated, and here's how um, that information might get married together. And then the plan is to update them every several years and then all students will have an opportunity to upgrade for a nominal fee so no one will ever have to enroll in the whole certification again if they've already purchased it once they can just kind of upgrade to the next version of it that's amazing that is really incredible and this all started 2012 you were saying or 2011 and it's grown Mm -hmm. so I know this is hard to believe because like especially with the internet and Instagram like there's like fit communities all over the place but in Mm -hmm. 2011 I was one, almost one of the, I mean, you know, this, you were yep. one of the only women in the weight room, right? Yep. And yep. so was I. Yeah. And so we, I had this kind of online thing, presence going on and a woman that I was friends with who was a power lifter was going to compete in a powerlifting meet. And a couple of us were going to go watch her. And then a guy in the industry sent a connecting email between me and a bunch of other women. It was like, Hey, we need more women doing cool stuff in strength and conditioning. You all should know each other. And so I was like, hey, I'm going to be in Cincinnati with these women if you all want to come. So seven women came from all over the world. We were most of us were from the U.S., but one woman came from Belfast, Northern Ireland to get in a workout together. Wow, that's incredible. That's amazing. that was the that was the, the, the premise. We were wow. we were going to support this woman in her power meet. We were going to get in a workout together, and we did. And we had so much chemistry, just saying, "I want to help women. I want to help women. Strength training's done this for me." And you know, we came from all these different backgrounds. So, you know, powerlifting, you know, kettlebell experts, women who've done figure marathons, collegiate wow. strength and conditioning, and we all kind of brought our own you know perspective to um, to Girls Come Strong. And so we started just with a simple Facebook page and in the last almost 10 years it's evolved into the you know one of the world's largest platforms educating women and health and fitness professionals who work with women on all these topics that's incredible that's incredible and do you have a private Facebook page too like is it is have you developed since Facebook came out with the private is that where most of your communication is now yeah, that's a great question. So we have three Facebook groups. We've got right. um, one called Strong Mom Sisterhood for moms and moms to be. We have one called Strong Women Lift Each Other Up, mm-hmm. which is kind of the general um, people who are interested in health and fitness but aren't necessarily a professional. And then we have our GGS Coaching and Training Women group. 
And that's for anyone current and aspiring health and fitness professionals who work with women or want to work with women. So across mm-hmm. all those platforms, we've got somewhere between 85 and 90 to 90,000 people in those groups. Wow. Um, yeah, they've grown. They've been, we've had them for about four and a half years and we, I mean, we tightly moderate them and, you know, just make sure there's no spam and no, you yeah. know, I mean, they're uplifting, yeah. they're, they're thoughtful, supportive. helpful, kind, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm, inspiring, supportive. And so we've got those, um, those three groups. And then we just recently opened a very exclusive little Facebook group for people who are part of my book launch team. So oh, amazing. That's, um, yeah, that's where we do a lot of communication with our community on those platforms. Awesome. And it's a lot of work running those, you know, just to, to make sure like filtering all like if there's any negative comments, get it out of there. Yeah. Like I've, I, I run a few Facebook pages too, and it's, it's a lot, it's a lot of work, but when you do it right, it's really a great space for women to connect. Like with my own team, we've had, we, we work with women all over the world too. And, and pre-COVID, I used to do like, you know, get togethers and women had formed these friendships online, never met and they're coming together. And it's just a beautiful thing to see. Like they've met each other for the very first time, but meanwhile, they've been friends through this Facebook group for, you know, over a year now. It's, it's incredible. I'm sure you have lots of those stories as well. Yeah. It's so cool to watch women. Yeah. Just kind of meet online and develop a friendship or relationship and then find out that, you know, they're meeting up, you know, outside of these things. We used to have girls gone strong events as well. And it's been so powerful. The women who came to those events, a lot of them were in, in the health and fitness industry, but they have gone on to follow each other, support each other, start businesses together, like, you know, have babies at the same time, like all this kind of stuff. They've they've like done all of these really cool things to lift each other up. And they met at a GGS event and might live, you know, across the world from each other. So that's incredible. That's incredible. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you the next question because I've sort of stalked your Instagram a little bit. (laughs) Yes. Um, I loved your post on, you know, loving your body, but still wanting to change it. Like, I feel like that's really powerful because I feel like right now we're so much, and I love how the fitness industry is moving in the direction of, you know, embracing your curves more, embracing where you are in your life, loving your body, no matter what. But then there's also this battle, I think with, with girls now, but what if I do want to like continue to build muscle or lean out or whatever? Like, what's your opinion on still loving your body, but still wanting to change it? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a huge fan of seemingly opposing ideas of finding the wisdom and kind of middle ground between the paradox, right? Like love you it. can love your body and want it to feel or perform or look differently than it does now. And that's that people are so our brains are so good at black and white thinking mm-hmm. that it can be really challenging to be like, but these things feel different, right? These things feel diametrically opposed to each other. And so I do think for so long you know, when you look at, we look at somewhere between four and 10,000 images a day, right? And that's increasing because we spend so much time on media and social media. Scrolling. And we see, yeah. And we see this very narrow, um, particular body type of what women are quote unquote supposed to look like. So I talk about it in my book. There's this exercise from a woman named Dr. Larissa Mercado Lopez, who's a professor of women's studies at Fresno State and also a GGS curriculum developer. And she says, if you Google fit woman, and you see the images that pop up. Mm. They're very homogeneous, right? It's almost mm-hmm. all young and white and mm-hmm. often blonde and lean and very feminine presenting and in like gorgeous clothes and hair and makeup, right? And so we only process about 8% of the images that we see consciously. So we're processing, when we see these images, we're processing 92% of the image subconsciously. And it's shaping what we believe to be right and true and good about the world. And so we see all these really narrow body types, right? And then we see women on the cover of magazines, like who wore it better and her beach body. And there will be an incredible actress at an award show who just gave the most amazing performance. And they're like, who are you wearing? And it's like, you know, like they don't ask the guys that, right? They're, they ask like, why did you want to do this yeah. role? Like everything yeah. about it. We yeah. tell little girls that they're cute. And yeah. when we tell little boys that they're all about it, right? there's just yeah. such a focus. So not only are we taught that here's the right way to look, here's the right type mm-hmm. of body to have. 
but then we're also said we're also taught like your body is the most important thing about you right that's why women are considered old maids at like 30 or 35 or whatever the thing is we can't quote unquote catch a husband because you know we're old and our bodies don't look the way they did like there's so much emphasis on women's bodies being so important and so there's that kind of thing right and so we've been dealing with that for a really long time. And then you have the health at every size movement, the intuitive eating movement coming in and saying like, hey, wait a second, there's a lot of problems with this, right? We know intentional weight loss efforts, 98% of them fail. I have some thoughts about that percentage because I think a lot of those are done in like crash diet type ways, right? I think yes, there, yeah. there are ways that, that are more sustainable, but mm-hmm. you know, a lot of intentional weight loss efforts fail. And like, why are we you know, demonizing people in larger bodies? Why are we saying fat is so bad, right? And so we've kind of, a lot of the industry has swung over to that direction. And and I think that, and, you know, they're saying, hey, if anybody who wants to lose weight, like that's a bad thing, this is encouraging, you know, disordered eating habits and, and poor behavior and things like that and bad relationship with food. And so I think that there is a lot of the industry that swung over that way. And I think it's a really good thing because it has pulled the industry toward that, right? Yep. To a better direction. Absolutely. But I, I have a problem personally with anyone who tells women what they should do or should want with their bodies. Because to me, that's like the same old crap wrapped up in a different package, right? To be like, mm-hmm. you shouldn't want to do this to your body because, right? Because I think women, autonomy and agency over our bodies, I mean, it's only been... 40 years in the U.S. that women have been allowed to open a credit card with other husband's signature, right? Or get birth control without being married. Like, it's just I'm anything yeah. that's like, you know, trying to control what women want to do or making them feel shame for something they want for themselves is yeah. not my jam. So I think it's Love incredibly it. important mm-hmm. to give women the space to make the decisions that they want for themselves while also helping them get introspective about why they want that thing, right? So it's like, do you want to lose weight because your joints ache and you're having some pelvic floor dysfunction and, mm-hmm. you know, you you feel just like sluggish, you know, mm-hmm. is that why you're wanting to do that? Or is it because you, you know, recently got out of a relationship and you're trying to get a revenge body or whatever yeah. the thing is, yeah. you know, like, and, or you don't you feel very good different. enough or, yeah, or you're trying to get back to your, you know, high school weight for your reunion or whatever, like, why are you wanting to do this? Because mm-hmm. you are good and worthy and valuable as yeah. you are right now. If you okay. want to engage yeah. in health behaviors that, you know, may may result in weight loss, then fantastic. That's great. But let's examine why you want to do it and what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do to get there and how you can engage in health promoting behaviors that will help you get closer to your goal. So that's kind of the the perspective that we take at Girls Gone Strong while also recognizing there's no right way to have a body mm-hmm. while displaying a wide variety of body shapes and sizes and ages and races and ability levels so that we can see the natural body diversity that actually uh, happens in real life, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, yeah. like when you scroll through Instagram and see Fitspiration, like that's not, that's what like one that's not real population. Life. Yeah, that's yeah. not real life. Yeah. And, and I love how you um, just mentioned you like really dig deep on why you want this for yourself. Like I have a lot of women coming to me and they've, you know, their kids are like six, seven, eight, and they're realizing their kids are getting older. They have no energy to keep up with them right now. And they just want to live like a, like a energized, fulfilled life so they can be there for their children. Right. And I mean, it's really, and I, and I don't typically want to work with somebody who wants to get in shape for their vacation in three weeks, right? So I, I love how you educate and, and really dig deep and, you know, ask those questions, ask what the bigger why is behind all of this. I think that is so yeah. key on, you know, loving your body and also wanting to change it. Yeah. And the, a couple other things, you know, people in larger bodies have experienced a lot of harassment and discrimination and fat trolling and stuff. Like if I'm like eating a burger and a picture on Instagram, you know, people are like, oh, that's funny or that looks delicious. Like if I weighed 30 or 40 more pounds, people would be like, I'm so worried about you. You're disgusting. You're, you know, like that's the kind of stuff that those people are experiencing. So I, yeah. I really also love the health at every size movement in the body, the, the true body positivity movement. It's kind of been co-opted and changed a little bit in the last five to 10 years. But um, I love it for what it is doing to raise awareness about Mm -hmm. these important things. I also talk about in my book, there's a woman named Emily Ho. She runs a business called Authentically Emmy. It started out as a um, weight loss blog called Skinny Emmy in like 2009. 
And after a few years, that didn't really feel authentic to her. And she really loves fashion and she's in a larger body. And so she was taking pictures of herself and posting them online. And all of these other women were saying, where are you finding these clothes? You look so good. They look like they fit. Like, I can't find anything like this. And she ended up kicking off this incredible business where she does plus size fashion stuff. She works with these fashion brands and has actually helped some plus size fashion brands kick off and launch their brands to help them be more successful, to make sure that women actually have access to these clothes. Like, I mean, I can't imagine not being able to, I mean, I'm tall, you know, I've got long legs. I'm like, oh, I can't find jeans that are long enough. Woe is me, right? But like, there are women who literally can't find affordable, fashionable clothing that fits their body. And so like raising awareness about that kind of stuff actually allows women to get access to things that they couldn't get access to before. So there's a lot of great stuff happening. Um, And then my last point is, I feel like if we say, you can't love your body because you want to change it. That is making us, that is like literally putting all of the emphasis on the way that our body looks. Like I can want to change my body and love my body for a million other reasons. I can love my body for, you know, getting me up in the morning. I can love my body for holding my partner's hand. I can love my body for snuggling my niece and nephew. Like there's so many, like my body do so much with my body. So even if I wanted to change the way it looked like, okay, cool. That doesn't mean that I don't value my body for a lot of other reasons. And so I think boiling down, wanting to change your body means not loving it just boils our bodies down to the way that they look when I think there's so much other value that they can bring to the world. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that insight with me. You've, you've just inspired me. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I could talk about it for a long time. Yeah. Like, and then another thing. And then another point. <laughs> what rules do you live by still on your own health and wellness journey. Um, I, I also read a post that you just, you simply said the basics still work. So what are the basics for you and, and what do you still guide your, you know, Girls Gone Strong community towards? Yeah, absolutely. So we are big fans of like evidence-based behavior change, right? So helping people develop the skills and tools that they need to eat and move their bodies in a way that feels good, that's nourishing to them, that fits their life. So after so many years on diet plans, I've literally done every plan under the sun except for vegan, right? I've done low fat and low carb and carb cycling and carb backloading and, you know, all these different things. I'm with you. I'm with you. I've tried it all. (laughs) Been there. Yeah. Been there. So when I kind of in 2013, when I was like, I'm not doing this anymore, I was like, I'm going to just eat whatever I want. Right. And I grew up with a terrible diet. I always joke that I didn't eat anything that wasn't beige until I was like 19. (laughs) I loved, I loved, you know, cheesy mashed potatoes and macaroni and cheese and garlic bread and all that kind of stuff. So I really did not have a very developed palate over time that has expanded quite a bit, but, um, I started just, I was like, I'm just going to eat whatever I want. And so I did. And of course, at that time, quote unquote, whatever I wanted was brownies and pizza and all this kind of stuff. And then after about a week or two, I was like, this doesn't feel good at all. I feel awful. And so I just kind of slowly started being like, well, broccoli actually sounds really good. You know, I'm going to have some of that. And so I kind of slowly started incorporating these other foods into my nutrition. And over time, what has worked fabulously for me are three kind of main principles that I live by. And that is eating more slowly, which is incredibly unsexy. People are like, what? Like, and it's like, you want me to eat more slowly? That's give me something harder. I need something more intense than that. And then they gobble down their food in like three minutes. Right. So eating more slowly, which we know helps improve digestion you know, helps us enjoy our food more, gives us a better experience, leaves us feeling more satisfied. And you're fuller um, quicker too. You, you feel a lot yes. fuller quicker. Yeah, mm-hmm. you do. And I used to overeat until I was like sick, right? So now I eat more slowly. I stop when I'm satisfied and not stuffed. So I eat until like when I'm done eating a meal, I feel like I could go for a quick jog or do 20 jumping jacks or whatever. And I wouldn't feel, Ooh, it yeah. doesn't feel good. Right. So I'm, I eat, I'm satisfied. I'm not, I'm not stuffed. Um, and I generally wait until I'm hungry to eat. Sometimes, you know, depending on my timing or schedule, I might eat before I'm, you know, really feel hungry, but for the most part, wait until I'm hungry to eat and then eat until satisfied. And then I prioritize protein and vegetables or fruit with most of my meals and snacks. And so it's so simple. pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It could be, I could be protein bar, Greek yogurt, 
eggs, chicken, steak. Um, and I, I like salads, you know, I'm, so I just basically roasted vegetables. So I basically prioritize protein and vegetables and then I eat whatever else I want. I mean, I eat ice cream almost every day. I eat tacos, I eat pizza, I eat, you know, all that kind of stuff because I do those other things. And then yeah. of course with, um, strength training and, you know, cardiovascular exercise. So I go for a lot of walks. I've recently taken up hiking. So I'm in Arizona. So we've got nice weather. Love it. I love hiking. It's like my new thing too. And we hiked, um, oh my gosh, now I can't even remember the, the mountain we hiked in Arizona, but it was, they're intense <laughs> going up those and Camel, down. Camelback? Yes. Camelback. Yeah. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. Super famous mountain here. So yeah, yeah. That, that one is no joke. And oh so my I gosh, do a lot yeah. of hiking. And prior to the pandemic, I was doing a lot of strength training. Strength training is my first love. So it's interesting for me to be, have shifted from 80 to 90% strength training with a little bit like some walks and a little bit of cardio to like 70%, you know, hiking and a little bit of running and walking and stuff and a little bit of strength training. Um, So I'll be, I'll be excited to get back. I love strength training in a gym. I love a gym atmosphere. I don't. I don't train as hard when I'm at home by myself. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just kind of where, where, so I will be. I'm not going to finish that last set. <laughs> yeah. oh, Who cares? It's fine. <laughs> yeah. um, so I will be very interested or very excited to get back to a gym atmosphere when that's available again. But for now, we've got some weights and stuff at our house. And so we train okay. either in the parking lot of the place that we, we um, hike or in our yard and so that's worked really well. So it's like I move my body most days in ways mm-hmm. that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. I typically prioritize strength training. Now I would say, again, with the kind of pandemic, I'm doing more of a maintenance for strength training. Yeah. I'm kind of training yeah. like cardiovascularly a little bit more. Um, and, you know, I get enough sleep and I, I do the same basic exercises that I was doing 17 years ago. I squat and I deadlift and I All do push-ups. Pull-ups and you know core training. I do carries and that you know, and um, so yeah, it's and it's it's so it's like the basics, right? Like you give someone a program, looks like that. They're like, well, this is too boring. You yeah, know, where's my? Yeah, this isn't hard enough. Where's my? I hear that a lot. Like, but are you doing? Are you doing the easy stuff? First, yes, right. Like let's <laughs> really help you nail that down. And so for me, um, you know, I've competed in figure and powerlifting and all this kind of stuff. And the thing that I'm most proud of is that I have moved my body two to three times a week, at least every single week for the last 17 years. And it's like, that's, that's it. You know, if I could keep doing that, there's been maybe like maybe a week or two, maybe two weeks here and there that I've taken off because of work stuff or just gotten busy or been yeah. sick or something like that. But like, man, if you can, if you can move your body two to three times a week for the next 40 years, like you're Good crushing you. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. I love that. And I feel like it, I work with a lot of women who were fit before and then they've had babies and, and, and now they're, you know, they want to get back or, you know, they just want to feel better. And then they're like, Oh, you know what? I I used to do all this stuff. I'm like, you got to look at your life now. Like you're a mom, you own a business or you're, you're working still like your life changes. And if you're still able to move your body, like you said, two to three times a week, you're killing, like you're good. You're good. You know, be Mm -hmm. proud of that. There was a guy I used to work, work out with at the gym and he was an attorney and had three kids and he was, his program was six days a week. And he was like, ah, it's just so hard to get in here. And I was like, well, how's, you know, how's that working for you? He's like, I mean, the program works great when I can do it. I just can't do it. And I'm like, then it's not working. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? If you can't do it, then it's not working. So how could you back that down a little bit? Like how many days do you think you could get to the gym? Like what's reasonable for you? And so, cause it was putting a strain on his marriage and, uh, you know, on his relationship with his kids. And then he was feeling exhausted and so, yeah. So I think yeah. I love the idea of finding what works for you in the context of your real life today. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know myself, I used to train like five, five, six, seven days a week, and now it's like three and I'm happy with that. Right. But okay. So let's get into your book because I'm so excited for you. It launches in March. It's strong women lift each other up. Why did you decide to write this? Like, what was your aha moment? And you're like, I need to get this message out there. I need to get this to women right now? That's a great question. And it sounds a little cheesy and weird, but I didn't really decide to write it. It's like the universe basically decided I had to write it because I was, I saw that, that kind of came across that phrase, strong women lift each other up in probably like 2013. And I, it just like 
caused all this pause in me. I'm like, strong women lift each other up. Like, that's incredible. I love that. And like, am I really lifting women up? You know, like I'm helping them get stronger and stuff. But like, am I really lifting them up in all these ways? And as I talked about kind of at the very beginning over the years, like when I gain new information, I'm a huge fan of, you know, of learning and growing and evolving and constantly like being introspective about stuff. And so am I really lifting women up? And then, you know, am I lifting women up in this way? And am I lifting all women up? You know, like, am I, am I really doing this? Am I embodying this? And so over time, my kind of definition of that has shifted, but so I always kind of love that, that phrase and that idea. And we, you know, created our Facebook group called GGS being a strong woman, lift each other up. And um, so I loved it. And then in 2018, I was going to give a keynote speech in Melbourne, Australia and the woman who was putting the event on was like, hey, Molly, I need to know what the topic of your speech is about because I'm going to start promoting it. And I was like, oh, strong women lift each other up. Because <laughs> I was like in the middle of other stuff. I'm like, I'll talk about that. That'll be awesome. And then I was like, ah, oh, dang, now I got to write a talk about this. <laughs> okay. So I um, started working. There's a woman who works with us at GGS. Her name is Camille DePutter. She's an amazing storyteller and works in health and fitness. And so we kind of worked on the talk together and said, okay, what do we want to talk about? And I'm like, well, I just, you know, feel like so many women feel like other women are their competition. And I feel like we could just be so much better together if we, you know, supported one another. And so, and I really wanted to make my talk tangible, right? Give things, I love rah-rah speeches, but at the end I'm like, okay, what do I do? I'm put me in coach. I'm ready. Yeah. And then there's nothing to do. And so I'm like, I want to <laughs> yeah, make, make some takeaway from it. Mm-hmm. Yep. So what can these women do right now when they hear my talk and they you know, feel good and they're excited? And so, you know, I put a lot of tangible, actionable things that they could do in the speech. And so we fly over to Melbourne, Australia. And my partner, Casey's like, are you just going to, I had 27 page talk. And he's like, are you just going to get there and read that? And he's like, can you do that? And I was like, we're about to find out. And I like walk up to the podium, you know, and put it down. And so I, I read this thing and it's almost 90 minutes long. Wow. And he was paying close attention to everyone in the audience. And he said they were just like edge of their seat, leaning forward, no one looking at their phone, just like in it. And after the talk, I got a standing ovation and which was so kind. And then all of these women approached me afterwards and they were like, did you, where did, how did I, uh, uh, you know, did you write that? Where did that come from? Like you said, all these things I've been feeling. And so I was like, Oh dang, this is not a speech. This is a book. And I was like, I don't have time to write a book, but this is a book. And so that was like October, November-ish of 2018. And so by Christmas, um, Casey and I were in Nebraska with his family, and I just would not let the idea of this book go. And he's like, what is going on with you? He's like, I've never seen you like this. You've never you never acted like this about anything. And I'm like, we have to do it. We, and I'm just like, I'm like pacing in his parents' kitchen. And I'm like, this is a book. We have to write this book. And he's like, we don't have time to write a book. I'm like, I know, but we have to. And he's like, okay, okay. You know, your calling. Figure it out. Yeah. And it literally, Jenny, it felt like it was inside my body, like banging, like let yeah. me out. And that's the only, it's so, it sounds so strange, but I was just like, I can't live with myself if I don't do this thing. This thing has to exist in the world. I just feel like I'm just going to like shrivel up and die if I don't put it (laughs) out there. So um, beginning of 2019, uh, Cam flew to Kentucky and we started kind of mapping out what we thought it should be about. And we spent four days just kind of going through my whole life story and all these thoughts and ideas. And shortly after, you know, did the whole thing, got an agent, got a book proposal, um, went and shopped it in New York. And so for me, though, it felt like... (laughs) It just feels like there's never been a better time for women, more opportunity for women to lift one another up and create change in their lives and change in the world. Because here's the thing, there's, you know this, you get, you get to work with so many women and you get to kind of peer into their lives and into what they want for themselves. And I found that women really want a couple of things. They want their life and work to matter. Mm-hmm. They want more meaning and purpose, purpose in their yeah. life. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and they, they, they want to feel like they can make a difference in the world. Yeah. And 100%. there's three things holding them back, I think. And it's that they don't know what to do. It's that they are afraid they can't make a difference because they're just one person or they're afraid of being criticized or mm-hmm. for what they're doing or what they're not doing. Right. They're afraid of putting themselves out there. So yeah. a couple of maybe six or eight months ago, I went on a walk with one of my friends who's an attorney and she's married and she has a son and she loves her work. And she's like, you know, I love my husband and I love the work that I do. And I love my son. And she's like, don't get me wrong. I'm not ungrateful, but 
something is missing. And she's like, I just feel like I was made for more than the life that I'm living. And I don't know what to do. She's like, do I join the board of a charity? Like, what do I, how do I do it? Like they want to find a purpose, right? They just don't know where to start. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've had many of those conversations recently, actually. Yep. And so I felt like, you know, strong women lift each other up is a roadmap. It's a blueprint for how to create change in your own life and how to create change in the world. So the first half of the book is all about getting right with yourself. It's about overcoming jealousy, comparison, scarcity, body image struggles, feeling like other women are your competition, feeling like you're not good enough, overcoming self-doubt, overcoming your doubt and mistrust of other women, right? Believing in yourself, believing in other women, understanding that we're better together and actually giving you the tools to do it. So again, it's not a rah-rah speech. It's like at the end of the chapters, you're going to get, you know, questions and homework. That's and things what I love actually, about the book. It's like you can actually put it into action right away. You can do it. And so mm-hmm. I actually walk you through these exercises, how to get clear on your values so that you can make decisions that feel are in, you know, in alignment with your, with your purpose Belief and what feels value. good to you. And so the first half of the book is getting right with yourself. And then the second half is like, okay, now, so then the first half of the book is becoming a strong woman who wants to lift other women up. Right. Cause I have, even in my own family, I've, you know, been, had so many incredible female role models who've been so strong and yet they have still struggled with not feeling good enough, Mm -hmm. not liking their body, Mm -hmm. gossiping about other women. Mm -hmm. I went to lunch one day after church with my grandmother and like five of her friends and all these women ranged in age from like late fifties to early eighties. And they were ordering their food and afterwards they're like, Oh, I'm going to be so bad today. I'm going to get a soup and a salad. (laughs) And the other one's like, you're eating like a bird. I, you know, no wonder you stay so slim. And I walked away and I was like, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh. It doesn't end. I thought it ended. No. And it doesn't end unless we end it. Yeah. Unless we do the work, unless we do the work. Cause it's like ingrained at such a young age. I remember my mom looking in the mirror and, and saying to me, do I look fat in this? Like all the time when she put an outfit on, you know? And I never thought yeah. she did. But then I started thinking that about myself. Like it's just so ingrained in our, in our you know, our experiences with other women too. Like, like I said, I was crying in the first chapter because that happened a lot with me and I didn't understand why they would just turn their backs like that on me. Um, and to be honest, when I found out when I was having two boys, I was relieved. I was relieved because I didn't want to have to see my daughters go through that too, going through that cattiness. You know, I was, you know, that's, it's, I shouldn't have felt this way. I should, I should know that I would, I would have helped her, you know, build more confidence, but I did. I felt relieved that I was having two boys, you know, and that's, that's that. Yeah. When you've had that, I mean, when you've had that, I mean, that's trauma, you know what I mean? It's trauma at a young age to feel like there, there's evidence to suggest that like social rejection mm-hmm. is as painful as, as actual physical pain. And that's traumatic for a, you know, for a young girl. And so that, you know, you're kind of thinking about, well, like how I, I did it for myself, but with, you know, when you're a parent with children, it's like, I couldn't bear to watch that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, and, and again, we talk about this kind of like opposite ends of the spectrum, right? It's like, you know, women are catty and girls are mean and this is who they are. And then there's like kind of the women's empowerment side that's like, no, they're not, you know, and it's like, well, hold on a second. If you've had that experience of other Mm -hmm. women being mean to you or gossiping about you or tearing you down at work or backstabbing or whatever, like those are valid experiences, right? Like that is actually true. And that happened to you. And that's like, you know, I, and I hate that that happened to you. I know, I know what that feels like. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to step back and say, okay, hold on a second. Why is this happening? And what can we do about it? And so in the book, I argue this is happening because we are set up in this kind of false social construct, right? When you go to an event and you see 10 people on a panel and you see two of them are women, you think that there's only two spots, and that's every single conference you go to. You think there's only two spots available for women. When yeah. you work at a business and you see one woman in leadership, you're like, oh, well, there's not a whole lot of spots for women. Yeah. She has that spot. Like, I can't get promoted to that until she's gone. Yeah. I got to fight with my colleague over here to get that spot because they're probably not going to hire two women. And so you start to think like, 
well, she's my competition. There's mm-hmm. not enough to go around. And so when, and we, and it feels normal. That's the problem. It yeah. feels Normalized. normal. Mm-hmm. It feels normal. People are excited right now that there's, I think, 26 or 27% of Congress, at least in the U.S., is made up of women, right? Yeah. And that is incredible progress. And also, it's still not enough. It's still yeah. not, yeah, it's still yeah. not enough, right? It mm-hmm. is not representative of the population. Mm-hmm. And so everywhere we look, right, we're, we're underrepresented in most of the places where important decisions are made, whether that's boardroom, academia, sports, government. And so we think there's less available for us. So if, you know, I'm friends with a fitness professional and there's a conference we both want to speak at and one of the spots for women's already filled, you think I'm going to recommend her? No, because I want the spot for myself, right? right? So when we normalize this, we compete with each other for scraps instead Uh of demanding more for ourselves and each other. And so like when we started Girls Gone Strong, right, we could have gone to the other big online fitness things and, you know, fought with each other to get a spot to write for them. Or we could say, you know what, we're going to go build our own thing. Yeah, we're going to go make we're going to go make room for ourselves and all of the other women who want to be involved. And so I think that this idea that women are catty and girls are mean, I get it. And I think part of it is this self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like we're put, we're, we're playing under these false rules that make us feel like we're in competition with one another. So Mm -hmm. we act that way. Mm -hmm. And there's also a lot of gendered um, kind of assumptions about women behaving a certain way. So if someone, if a woman is, you know, unkind or whatever, it's like, she's such a bitch or she's cold or she's catty or she's this. But if a guy acts that way, it's like, well, he sure is a good leader. He's very firm. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's, he's a double standard. Yeah. 100%. Total double yeah. standard. And yeah. so, you know, there's been all this evidence, like, you know, men and women sending the same emails and they say, this guy really gets a lot of stuff done. And the woman is like, well, she is very, you know, she's kind of, she's abrasive, you know, yeah. she's shrill, yeah. she's cold. Yeah. She's this. And so there's all these assumptions. So all that to say, when someone is mean to us, we say, well, women are just mean like that, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of saying mm-hmm. that human being is just kind of a jerk. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. There are yeah. people of all yeah. genders who are yeah. unkind, right. mm-hmm. but we tend to ascribe that to to them being a woman, right? Mm-hmm. Not just saying this person is that, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing. If you have two CEOs of a company, you have male CEO, he tanks the company. Mm, you know that's a bummer. Female CEO, she tanks the company. Woman couldn't hack it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. We, we literally say it's because she's a woman, she's and we just woman. don't do that mm-hmm. with guys. Mm-hmm. So I so I want to help people say, you know, if you've had these experiences with women. It is totally true and valid. And like, you know, you're, the way you felt about that and the trauma experience and stuff, all that stuff is real. And I think that we can start to move away from that's who women and girls are and say, that's not who women and girls are. That is sometimes how we behave when we're playing this game yeah. where the rules are unfair. Yeah. yeah. And, and start to say, okay, so then what can I do differently? How can I behave? Cause I mean, you and I, you know, we've had, we've only known each other for a short period of time, but like, you've been so incredible. Like you haven't let women or mean and, you know, whatever, yeah. catty or whatever affect our relationship and the way that, you know, we interact together. So you have been able to overcome and say like, I want to be a strong woman who lifts women up. Absolutely. And that, and that's the reason why I, I started Team Strong Girls too, because, because of all of that, you know? Um, so it was a reason why, and it, and it's funny because when I, I couldn't even believe my mind went there when I found out I was pregnant and I found out it was a boy. And then I had that sense of relief and I had already started strong girls and we had already started this like amazing supportive group of women. And my mind still went, went there just because, you know, just protective over, over your kids. But yeah, I mean, I'm glad I did go through that because that's why I started strong girls. And I'm sure that's why you well, you, you, you started Girls Gone Strong too. And now this book and what would you say would be the, I know there's tons of takeaways, but what would you say would be the number one takeaway of your book? So I, I really think that this idea that change has to be created from all different angles and that we all have a role to play. And so I think, especially right now, there's so much change that people want in the world, right? So we want change in our lives. We want change in the world. 
And I think it's easy to feel like, well, if I just do this little thing, it's not actually creating change. It's not really doing anything. And so I give this example. I don't know if I give this one in the book. I think this one might not have made it in the book, but this idea of like a fitness conference, right? We just talked about that fitness conference, all male speakers, Mm -hmm. like, you know, how do we change this, this thing, right? It's easy to point our finger and be like, the people who put on the fitness conference don't care about having more women or more people of color or whatever speaking at their conference. But the thing is, is it's not just them, right? They're at the top. So I think about this idea that change has to come from the top down and the bottom up and the outside in and the inside out. So what that might look like is at a fitness conference, people at the top who are putting on the conference, they have to notice that they don't have enough women. They have to care that they don't have enough women. They have to be willing to ask for recommendations for women and cast their net a little bit wider and want to bring more women in. However, just doing that isn't enough, right? Because Mm -hmm. we need more women coming from the bottom up who have been in the industry a long time, who put themselves out there and are willing to apply, who are willing to speak at the conference when they're asked. I've put conferences on and had multiple women say, I'm not ready yet. I'm not prepared. I'm not going to do it, right? The fitness industry is a relatively young industry. There are Mm -hmm. fewer women who have been in it for the last 10, 20, 30, 40 years than men. So as of right now, it is easier to get a seasoned Mm -hmm. guy to speak at your event than it is a woman. But that doesn't mean that's not an excuse, right? We have to fill that pipeline with more women. We need them to join the industry. We need them to stay in the industry longer. We need them to put themselves out there, say yes, that they will speak at the conference, apply to it then. But that's not enough either, right? When they get there, people on the inside need to be willing to give them a hand, create a welcoming environment and keep them there. So I speak at an event called Perform Better. And when I first got on kind of the circuit five or six years ago, a woman named Rachel Cosgrove reached out and she was like, hey, I see you're speaking. Let me give you the inside scoop because I've seen a lot of women come and go over the years. They don't understand how the conference works and so they don't do what they're supposed to do at the conference and then they don't get asked back. And so she's like, I'd love to give you some insider knowledge about how this works. And now I've been there for five or six years. And now I have, wow. I've been able to recommend other women. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been able to like, you know, be a role model for bring women in the audience, bring them in. And so, and there's evidence to show if a woman is the only person in a workplace, at a conference, on a panel, she's one and a half times more likely to leave. So even just being wow. on the inside. Yeah encourages more women to stay. And then if you're on the outside, you attend the conference, right? You can create change. You can attend the women's talks, right? Because the the more well attended a talk, the more likely the woman is to get asked back. You can rate her and give her feedback. So tell the presenter, hey, I think Molly did a really good job. I'd really like to see her back. You can demand change. You can say, hey, I loved your conference, but there were still only 20% women. Like my colleagues and I aren't going to come back unless you have, you know, more women. And here are some people I can recommend, right? Yeah. In order for that conference to have more women, to have more people of color, to have more diversity that matters speaking at their event, it can't just come from one direction. You can't just shout from the outside and point fingers. Mm-hmm. You can't just, you know, be at the top and be like, well, you know, we don't really care. We can't find any women, though it's not worth trying. You know, you can't like be at the bottom and not be willing to accept the the, the opportunity to speak. And you can't be on the inside and, and, you know, be like, oh, there's another woman here. I'm going to shun her because I want to be the woman at the conference, right? Yeah. Like yeah. it has to happen from all directions. All around. Mm-hmm. And so change has to happen in all of these different ways. We need women researching and innovating and hiring and coaching and educating and birthing and raising children and protesting and marching. Like we need all of these things to create change. And so every single one of us has a role we can play in whatever areas of our lives, in our homes, in our businesses, in our places of worship, like it, we can all create change and all of these roles are needed. And so I want women to think to, to the, within the book to figure out what they can do, right? Use the book to figure out what they can do, understand that they are powerful and as an individual can make change and not fear being criticized because they are steadfast in their values and they know that they are contributing to change in their own individual way that might look different from someone else's and that's okay and it can be something small it can be something small right that's awesome i'm i love your book i cannot wait until it launches to the world or when people can actually read it themselves it what when is the actual day that that you can get your hands on a copy (laughs) march 9th 2021 so coming out 
yeah, I think, gosh, is it six weeks from today? Five weeks? Wait, what is today? It's five weeks from today. Wow. It's like a baby. It really is. (laughs) I'm so excited. I'm so excited. And just as we're wrapping up this, I want to ask you, what does finding your strong mean to you personally? Mm, That's a great question. So I love, um, I love how passionate you are about helping women find their strength, both internally and externally. For me, you all already know I'm a huge fan of autonomy, right? So for me, I think for me personally, strength is about resilience. So it's about trusting myself to handle whatever comes my way and knowing that I can handle it and that I'm resilient enough to overcome um, any challenges and to learn and grow from them. So my top three values are making a difference. That's number one. Integrity is number two. And resilience is number three, because I have, um, yeah, I think if, if we don't learn how to learn, grow and overcome from, you know, the challenges that we face in life, it's going to be really difficult to, you know, do what we were put here to do and make the kind of difference that we want to make. So for me, being able to turn my dad's death into something positive, my chronic pain into something positive, my, you know, all of the child, my Hashimoto's and PCOS being able to overcome and say, how can I use what I've been through to help other people? For me, that has been um, my biggest source of strength. So for me, it would be resilience. I know for other people, they'd probably have other perspectives on it, but that would be it for me. I love that. You've turned your struggles into strength. And that's that's what I feel finding your strong is and, and you're sharing it with the world and, and you're just so you're so nice and you're and you're and you share just being a human. And I think that's what we all need, especially in this in this fitness space. I love how people are just sharing more. Um, and it's not just like this perfect painted picture because no one lives that way. Yeah. Well, I know people listening to this podcast likely already follow you, but I hope they know that you are as amazing and warm and caring and all of that behind the scenes as you are, um, you know, out in front. So I just want to thank you for being that way and for being a strong woman who lifts other women up. And I'm super excited. We've gotten to know each other better over the last couple of months, and I'm excited to, to hear your podcast. And I want to thank you for letting me be part of it. Thanks so much, Molly. I, I, the feelings are mutual. Thank you so much for joining me today. I know our listeners have gotten some incredible inspiration from you. And girl, you are a force. And I am just so thankful that you've spent the time with me. You've inspired me. So thank you for that. I really look forward to connecting with you more and continuing to lift each other up. Yes, me too. So for anyone who um, wants to know where they can get the book, if they go to mollygalbert.com forward slash book, then they'll find all of the retailers and all the places to get it. So it's currently available. I know you're in Canada. It's available in the US, Canada, UK, um, Germany, Australia, Australia, and New Zealand right now. And you can find all those retailers at mollygalbert.com forward slash book. Amazing. And Girls Gone Strong Quickly, if they want to visit your website, what is where can they find you? Yep. Girlsgunstrong.com is the best place. And from the homepage, you can navigate and find all of our articles and free courses and certifications and all that kind of stuff. Amazing. Thank you so much, Molly. It was so nice chatting with you again. You too. Bye-bye. And that's a wrap on another episode. Guys, thank you so much for spending this time with me. I just love being able to share these strong stories and thoughts with you. And I hope you were able to take away a piece of inspiration from today. If there's one favor I could ask, please keep sharing, post a screenshot, share a direct link with a friend or post a review and help spread the word so more people can tune in and find their strong. And if you ever wanted to subscribe to our strong fitness magazine and get the physical copy mailed to your doorstep for more inspiration and motivation, I will include the link in the show notes and please feel free to use my strong girl three discount code to save guys. I cannot wait for the next show. I'm Jennifer Van Barneveld pay, take care and stay strong.